You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Tuesday, January 19, 2021, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Tony Greer. But first, with today's stories, Haley Drasden. Hey, Ash. Equities are on the rise today. We saw gold up earlier. Now it's relatively flat on the day. Bitcoin was up too earlier, but has since lost most of its gains. However, it's still up from yesterday. An optimistic tone overall, though, the day before President-elect Biden's inauguration. Investors were watching Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen testify at her confirmation hearing today and lay out the case for the Democrats' $1.9 trillion relief package. Investors are coming back to the reflation trade, betting that the incoming Biden administration will use its legislative firepower to propel economic growth. With interest rates at historic lows, Yellen says, quote, the smartest thing we can do is act big. With Yellen as Treasury Secretary, we should see the greater cooperation between the Fed and the Treasury with both the monetary and fiscal policy. Of course, you know, hopefully more so working in tandem. This is a good backdrop for risk sentiment. The markets are anticipating Yellen to really swing for the fences here by expanding on MMT, that's modern monetary theory, and continuing to move the decimal point on the Treasury's infinite balance sheet. So investors are gaining momentum from the arrival of the Biden administration tomorrow, but also looking forward to higher earnings. So far, the numbers are good. It's really early, but here's the story with the S&P 500 earnings per share numbers. 2019 was great. We saw historic highs. Then, of course, in 2020 with COVID, it dropped 25% in the earnings numbers. And now they're expecting it to all come back at another historic high in 2021 with, you know, $167 earnings per share on the S&P 500. When we look at the banking side today, we saw Goldman Sachs and Bank of America report earnings and the low rate environment really seemed to be the theme that impacted profits. Goldman Sachs benefited from a relatively small loan book and their profit more than doubled on a year over year basis. Meanwhile, Bank of America was impacted by a drop in interest income, decreasing their earnings by 22% in the fourth quarter. We're expecting still earnings this week from Morgan Stanley, Procter & Gamble, Intel, and Netflix, which will all help give a better understanding of the pandemic's impact on corporate America and what you know we need to look out for for Q1 and Q2 in 2021. Back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. TG Tuesday. Tony Greer, welcome back. Ash, how are you, my man? I'm doing well. Tony, what's on your radar day before the inauguration? 
Well, it's like a sandwich day in the markets, Ash. You know, we had Martin Luther King Day yesterday. Um, you know, we've got an interesting inauguration day tomorrow. The markets, I feel like they're kind of suspended animation right now, if that's fair to say. You know, I mean, everybody's kind of wants to get past this. And the one thing that I notice about the market, Ash, to me, that's jumping out is that I feel like the market can't tell if it wants to be back in lockdown rotation or in we've got a vaccine, let's be optimistic rotation. For example, today we're seeing, you know, technology and energy rallying back pretty sharply. You know, so maybe that is um, maybe people were encouraged by seeing Janet Yellen's face today. Could be something like that. Maybe they're encouraged by just the president leaving office and maybe we can get back to some semblance of normalcy. But I will say that I have de-risked a lot of my trading book and my short term positions because when I take a break from the arena in between periods, in between the trading arena and I go um, you know, and I leave the arena and go into the immediate area, I don't know where I am anymore. So that's why I have to sort of uh, take risk down and look around and decide, um, you know, that I would rather be prepared and have cash on a dip than be loaded long at the highs here with so many sentiment indicators indicating that the market's returns from here in the upside are probably limited in the short term. That's how I feel. So. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm talking about Ash things that we've discussed here, um, like sentiment being sort of in the in the high side now, but not extreme. But we've got things like the put call ratio at extreme lows. We've got open all open call option positions by small traders at all time highs, right? So there are people obviously just making rampant upside bets on the markets from here. And when I, like I said, when I look outside the arena and I don't feel comfortable with where I am, that's my signal to de-risk. So that's how I'm looking at things right now. And it's really just so that I have opportunity when we do encounter some volatility. And if I have to wait for that, I'll be patient. That's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, that's very wisely said. There's no, uh, there's no award for charging into oncoming traffic. Exactly. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy, as you know, that really is um, mesmerized and sort of tailored, uh, sort of tied to returns and performance in every way. And I'm also a guy that doesn't like to come out and lose 10% in January or 15% in January. You know, I, I'd rather be flat in January and say, well, I haven't made any bets this year yet come February. So that's kind of how I'm looking at things. I took a lot of profits on trades that worked into the end of the year. I got out of trades that didn't work sat patiently and listened to Ms. Yellen today, um, who will soon be officially our new Treasury Secretary. I think that probably gave, I would like to think that gave the market a little bit of confidence to know that she's back. She's a measured quantity. She's extremely boring at her job. And I feel like that's what the market wants right now. You know, so that to me was a good sign. You know, we chatter about the 50-year bond where we don't have a weak dollar policy. Yeah, that's great. You know what I mean, Janet? Be there when we need you. Get the checks to the money to, to the people that need it. And I can I can be optimistic about that, you know? Yeah, I really enjoyed that quote. You said something like, uh, she's she was incredibly boring, which is exactly what she should be doing. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly don't even want, um, you know, the excite the once exciting Tim Geithner to come back. Right. As Treasury Secretary, we've got Janet Yellen in the seat now. She's got experience at the Fed. It looks to me like they're trying to signal that there's going to be more of the same of her policy and Jerome's policy going into this administration. I, I feel like that's fair to 
anticipate of all things. But I'm just a little bit worried about the things that I see outside of the markets that I feel like we're in one of those situations where the market is going to have a steep pullback over two days. And it may not have anything to do with what's going on in earnings per share or in market um, type of data, if that's fair to say. Yeah. So, Tony, what are some of those externalities that you're looking at that make you just say no mas for the next couple of days? Great question, Ash. I will say simply that the first externality that concerns me is barbed wire around the Capitol. Right. Regardless of of, um, what you think of Trump, regardless of what you think of Biden, President Trump is in charge of the military. He sent them there. I'm hoping that it was sent there to send a clear message that there is to be no tampering with this inauguration. I truly am. And I've noticed that there's just been a lot of machinations coming out of either the White House or Secretary of State Pompeo. Um, who just said that um, you know China has been committing crimes against humanity and um, you know against the Muslims? I'm seeing interesting headlines like President Trump issuing an executive order protecting judges, prosecutors, and their families yesterday. I see that he replaced the NSA legal counsel yesterday, and Nancy Pelosi had a problem with that. All of these things just make me wonder what's bubbling underneath the surface and causing me to want to be flat for a little while. You know, call it trader's intuition, call it uh, I've been this uncomfortable before. And when I don't understand things, I generally take a step back from the pinball machine, if that's fair. So really, it's just kind of seeing those things go on. Yeah, excellent points, Tony. And this is what you do so well. We've gotten so lost in this country in the politics, pro and con, for and against, that I think just understanding the market impact of what's happening and seeing the world through that lens, trying to understand what's happening and say, hey, look, we got barbed wire in the Capitol, regardless of who you voted for. To me, that says risk. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Exactly well put. Perfectly boiled down, Ash. Barbed wire around the Capitol is risky. We don't know why it's there. We don't know what it's representing. We don't know what we're heading into. And if it's if it's peace on earth and everything is fine, then what an amazing environment to trade stocks in, right? So I don't mind being flat for a couple of days, having much less risk, paying attention to what I'm seeing and hearing, focusing on you know the machinations going on around the world as we know there's been some slippery situations with the government in Italy you know there's there was some um, trembling over there where Conti looks like he's going to stay in power but there was a big spike in Italian bond yields last week that I want to just sort of keep a corner of my eye on it's not like it's going to derail the markets but when the bond market speaks I like to listen and that sort of abrupt move in Italy last week was enough for me to say it looks like there's a lot going on right now that I don't understand. And for me, with uh, trying to keep a really, really humble core to my trading practices, and as you know, I can't trade when my tummy is upset, when I have visceral agony in either positions that are costing me money or things that I don't understand, I can't focus on what's going on. So what I'm actually doing is trying to use this time positively and do homework on the sectors of the market that I'm about to attack. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing, recognizing what you don't understand is such a crucial skill. It's interesting. You know, Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger talk about how 
how long you often sit at the plate with the bat on your shoulder. Uh, true of long-term investors and also true when you're a little bit more tactical on the trading side too. But you've really made the perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about next. As you take this downtime uh, from the market to think a little bit more strategically forward about what the plan is going to be, what are you thinking about right now? Yeah, Ash, like I said, this is going to be, you know, once all of this, um, you know, headline pinball that I call it because their headlines are flying around so fast in every direction, you can barely keep up. Once this period of time passes, which I'm anticipating will be days, right? Not weeks or months, I think. Um, once this period of time passes, I am going to be digging most heavily, obviously, into my natural resources trade, which I'm still in and still trying to stay with. What's but, the give us the big picture for people who may not remember what the big picture is on your natural resources trade? Yeah, Ash, it's all about um, you know to me the biggest story last year was the Fed raising their balance sheet from four trillion to seven trillion dollars. I mean, there's the COVID story on the surface that is the cause of that, of course, but in finance as traders, that's the biggest story, right? The doubling of the biggest balance sheet in the world. It seems to me going into the Biden administration that these um, stimulus checks are going to be a regular thing. And if that's going to be the case, and we're going to continue to add on to the Fed balance sheet, then I'm going to go ahead and start predicting commodity inflation and thinking that we are going to eventually touch on headline inflation. We're eventually going to reach headline inflation. Now, last week, we had the headline inflationistas like me absolutely silenced when we came out with like a 0.3 PPI number and then 0.1 X food and energy. So there's no headline inflation right now, but nobody can argue that the commodities complex is alive and roaring, right? Copper rally straight to through 7K and beyond, crude oil through $50 now at a level nobody thought it would be. And most importantly, which we've mentioned before, the grains market feels like it is peeling its way out of a 10-year bear market. And that is really something that one of the sectors that I'm looking at getting invested in once the smoke clears here, right? We've got the grains down every year, essentially for eight years in a row, just had a huge year in 2020, still really well bid now because of the grain situation, which is huge demand out of China, poor crops in North America and South America. Very simple story, huge buyer, not a lot of grains to go around, right? Heading into the COVID scenario where people are locked down and food is getting more expensive, that's a concern of mine, right? A really big concern of mine if food inflation starts picking up. The only thing we can do is make moves. The only thing we can do is latch on to some of the names that I think will respond well. Um, I'm starting to dig in to see what the best names are that there are the immediate thoughts that John Deere and Caterpillar come to mind, right? Two very big Dow stocks. That's interesting to me because the big cap stocks have before the last couple of weeks been outperforming. Then you've got a set of, um, you know, maybe fertilizer companies like Bungie or CF Industries that we could latch onto and participate in this. And then I've always been a big fan of the rails as a way to participate in a commodity rally. So I'm really, um, while I'm staying out of trouble, I'm trying to do my homework and watch things perform right now so I can decide whether I really want to dive into transports or the fertilizer names or directly into John Deere. That's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm kind of watching these stocks for performance based on other things going on in the markets. And then I'm going to try to pick my winners um, as I start re-risking coming out of 
whatever it is that I feel like might happen in the next couple of days that I have no idea. So yeah, that, that, I was going to say, that's, that's really interesting. And I, as someone who confesses to knowing absolutely nothing about ag or very nearly nothing about ag, that's a very coherent story and one that I can follow. And it starts with a top-down thesis, and then you work your way in, you bootstrap into which names you like the most. I find that just an interesting case. Yeah, and Ash, I'm really just fine trying to find names that are going to coincide with the grain rally and maybe be less volatile. That's really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a less volatile expression of what's going on in grains because grains are really tricky to trade. If you start diving into futures, then you've got roll risk, which really complicates your trade. Um, you know, rolling commodities from month to month is hard enough rolling them when you've got massive weather concerns and other concerns, um, and they're not month-to-month -month contracts like you've got in the grains, that makes it a lot more difficult for me to trade futures. Talk a little bit about that for people who aren't familiar with futures, because a lot of people get whacked uh, by negative roll yields. Tell us a little bit about what that is, how you think about it, and how you, uh, how you frame it for yourself. Sure, Ash. It's, um, for example, in a commodity like crude oil and gasoline, there are futures for every single month. So, you know, your risk is sort of 30 days out the calendar, you know, in terms of knowing whether you're going to liquidate or jump to the next contract, right? Those short-term perspectives allow for less volatility because you've got more options to let time expire. Um, excuse me, you've got more options to have contracts expire in between important milestones in the market every month. You go to grains and we don't have grain contracts every month, right? They are sort of staggered um, quarterly. And so you've got a greater space in between each trading contract. Therefore, the cost of the roll is a little bit bigger because you're rolling them over a longer period of time, right? Out two or maybe three months. And then you've got the concern where how much can go on in between those two and three months when you're looking out past spot month. And so there's just so much volatility and so much variability that could come into the picture with grains, you know, including more and bigger buyers or worse and more constricting weather that trading them, trading grains flat price to me as a, a really a stock ranger whose immediate goal is to stay alive upon waking up every morning. The grains are a really, really risky proposition for me. So I'm trying to look for ETFs like DBC, for example which is a commodity ETF and has some grains. It just doesn't have the weighting in grains that I would like. It's mostly energy. If you've been following along with my trades and my story, I've been long energy for a long time. We've got all the energy exposure we need right now. I'm remain bullish um, as spreads tighten and China continues to buy oil at a pretty ferocious pace. So putting all this together, Ash, is really once again, trying to make sure that we're in the right sectors at the right time most importantly right now at the right time for 2011, because I do not want to walk into what is it going to be week three of 2011 with a black eye because I decided to carry positions through barbed wire at the Capitol, right? That's something that I cannot forgive myself for. I can't forgive myself for being flat through barbed wire at the Capitol with my eyes open and not making any money until we see the trades that present themselves. So aside from that, aside from grains, Ash, I'm going to get well, it really back to that really quick. I'm curious. You know, I, I heard uh, I heard some pretty compelling downsides there uh, on the grain trade. So that makes me think you must see a pretty compelling potential upside to compensate you for taking those risks. 
Yeah, that's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. The downside right now in grains is the bottom falling out from funds having gotten long. You know, there's clearly funds piling into this grain rally. They're definitely long at this point. Um, they've definitely got a lot of profit in the trade, and you have to look for them to take those profits. So that's sort of the risk is a steep pullback into support for the grains. Right now, where that steep pullback can get you down 15, 20 percent before we get to support, that's not the type of risk reward that I go hunting, right? I, I like to find things where we can risk three to five percent and make 20 percent. I don't want to ever have to say, okay, well, I'm going to have to weather a 10 or 15 percent pullback before I know if this is a bad trade or not, or right. before I decide that I want to be out. So that's a lot of what goes into the thinking in the grain market, and especially with some experience trading them and knowing that um, not having all the information in grains is to your detriment. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, makes sense. So, Tony, what else are you looking at? I saw something in your note about uh, Dick Beauvais at Odeon uh, talking about uh, JP Morgan potentially making a large non bank investment. Yeah, that was just interesting to me, Ash. You know, that's one of the things that comes across the tape, and you're like, you know, I haven't thought enough about that, certainly. You know, I haven't thought enough about what might change in the market landscape if a huge bank with tons of cash like JP Morgan makes a large non-bank purchase or if, say, Apple came out of the blue with all their cash and made a purchase. Like, those are headlines that shouldn't shock me, but they just make me want to think about what some of these big boys could be shopping for, right? So that that's one thing, um, but that doesn't necessarily lead itself to um, a trade, a clear cut trade idea, Ash. You know, that's just kind of uh, me trying to make sure that I'm thinking about the markets with an open mind. Yeah, I'm curious uh, to what what they would be buying. It would have been the tech space. I mean, do we? He didn't get right. He didn't give an indication. You know, um, I think that he said, um, yeah, large non-bank investment. He did not say which exact sector. So maybe he's just planting seeds. Maybe he's getting points for being a creative analyst. I'm not sure, but he's an interesting guy, makes interesting calls, something worth thinking about, right? Yeah, Dick Beauvais is a really interesting guy. When I was a young reporter at CNBC, uh, I used him, uh, his work, his research uh, on a number of different fronts. He was a very, uh, and he still is, a very cogent analyst of what happens in that banking space. So if Dick Beauvais is saying it, I suspect there must be uh, something behind the scenes leading him to think that. I'm also thinking about, what was it called, Haven? The Amazon, Berkshire, Hathaway, JP Morgan, we all have more money than God uh, consortium that came together from healthcare. Uh, yeah. And recently exited, like two weeks ago or something. A friend of mine who's a doctor posted on Facebook uh, like a really short thing. It was like, hey, you know who's not surprised about this? Doctors. So, uh, yeah, so, exactly. It's a very good point. It's tough. If you're master of your domain, uh, it's tough to get into another one. But uh, it's certainly an interesting story. And I guess yeah. it speaks to where just markets are in general, right? Uh, large bank flush with cash, lots of change happening. You mentioned some cryptocurrency in your note. Um, I wonder if it's in that direction. Yeah, it, it absolutely could be. Who knows? I mean, this is we're talking about JP Morgan, who came out of the gate with Jamie Dimon sort of speaking negatively about Bitcoin, I believe was his first comment was that he didn't really value it. I don't remember his exact words, 
But then he came around and did a 180 and said that the bank would most definitely foray into cryptocurrency trading. So maybe he's going to buy a, I don't know, a, a Bitcoin wealth manager or something like that. I mean, that's, you know, thinking outside the box. It's so interesting. I think the exact quote was something to the effect of uh, anybody who's trading Bitcoin deserves to be fired if they work at JP Morgan. But was at the it? same time, yeah, I think that was what he said. But at the same time, he was working on Quorum, which was their open source uh, or rather uh, their blockchain project that was proprietary based on open source uh, underpinnings. And then they recently, I believe, sold it to uh, to consensus. So there's uh, there are a lot of changes going on in that space. It seems in, in the way of thinking is evolving. Obviously, it's something that we talk about uh, that we're interested and I'm especially interested in it, obviously running uh, Real Vision's crypto uh, coverage. But it is really interesting to me to see how cryptocurrency and big finance, uh, especially banks, are starting to converge. Yeah, as the price goes through $40,000, looking like somebody is absolutely jamming money into it, right? Like this is clearly um, either one or a number of large funds getting a leg in. You know, it seems to keep coming back every time Bitcoin dips to a reasonable price, which is now in the 30,000s. So it's been an exciting, terribly exciting market to watch. And I look forward to it giving me an opportunity so that I can get in and mix it up with the traders in it. By the way, as we're having this conversation, Ethereum above 1400 today. Yeah, the cryptos are in fuego. There's, there's nothing else to say, man. Yeah, there's some there's some debate right now to give you an idea of how odd this market is about whether or not this is a true all time high in Ethereum, uh, because there was so much inter exchange price deltas when the last high was set. I actually had this conversation today with the uh, chief content officer of CoinDesk uh, on Real Vision coming out next week. But it's an interesting space and definitely one that we're going to be following closely. Yeah, we're going to let's stay on Bitcoin for sure. Yeah. So, Tony, uh, as we come to a conclusion here, tell us, what are you going to be watching that lets you know when it's time, uh, other than the obvious, which is the barbed wire coming down, down into the mall, uh, what are you going to be watching to let you know that it's time to step back into the batter's box? Um, Ash, I'd like to see the bond market quiet down a little bit. The bond market sold off aggressively. You know, we pushed 10-year yields up to a high of about uh, maybe 105, 110%. So that was the bond market coming off hard. In my opinion, that is a light anticipation of inflation or something like it by the bond market. Um, you know, the big risk to the equity market, in my opinion, is a huge dislocation lower in bonds that sends yields much higher. So with yields racing higher, one of the things that I would like to see before I dig back in is to see them fall back into a range. Right. So if the 10 year yield falls back into a range that's a little bit higher, which we would expect now, let's call it 80 uh, bips at 110 bips. What we want to see then is the economy justify these higher yields. So if we then see economic data continue to do better than expected, we'll probably sustain those higher yields and the stock market will be fine. If we start to slip on the economic data side, and which looks like is a real risk now with some lockdowns in China, lockdowns in the UK extended, yeah. and not really knowing how we're going to progress into the Biden administration with lockdowns in the next couple of days. So I feel like you know that, that risk is sort of playing out. Um, most importantly, I'd like to see the dollar resume its trend lower because I am a dollar bear. I do believe that between Powell and Yellen, while they say there is no specific weak dollar policy, I think that they're very well aware that it 
gets the commodity markets going and it gets the stock market going when the dollar goes down. So they may be a little bit tongue in cheek with that, saying one thing and not really meaning it because they know it's helping them in other ways. So I really want, um, I need the market actually, Ash, also to back off the highs with sentiment running red hot the way it is. That's really what I want to see. I need to put call ratio to snap back into something normal. I need to see uh, these last guys in that just bought upside calls get rinsed out a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be a come to Jesus moment in stocks, but we could see a 200 point S&P pullback where, you know, a lot of this rookie option money just gets disintegrated and gives us an opportunity to re-enter the trades that we like. So that's kind of how I'm playing it. I need some of the speculation to get pulled out of the markets. And I, I want to see the dollar and the bond market settle in a range that I can identify. And then I think that will set the stage for S&P 4K this year. I don't know from what point it's going to get there. And as you know, with me, the path is everything. The path is everything. And we'll continue to watch that data. You know, Tony, so many good points there. Uh, we obviously some technical factors that you point to. Uh, also, literal regime change. We usually use that term metaphorically, but we've got that shift going on. And some unknowns with COVID. You know, it's this weird moment right now with the COVID crisis where we've got the hope on the horizon. We've got uh, two vaccines, maybe a third one about to roll out from J&J. That they're being distributed. This is great news. I've got uh, all these friends who are nurses and doctors proudly showing themselves getting vaccinated. And yet, yeah. at the beginning of January, we saw some of the highest death counts, unfortunately, uh, for the entire crisis. That's rolling down a little bit. But it really is this sort of key inflection point where we just don't know what's going to go. You could read uh, you could read two sides of the newspaper. One day you hear there there are two new variant strains circulating in wherever London, Boston, New York, and then the other side you hear you know vaccine rollout seems to be going uh, pretty well in terms of the side effects profile. File, things are going pretty well there. So it's this this weird kind of uh, emotional uh, uh, washing machine that we find ourselves in. We obviously all hope that comes down. That would be a great stabilizing factor for the country and, of course, for markets. Totally, totally. You know, I, I, I want to be a believer that we're going to get reopened, Ash. The problem that I have with is it with it is that even the rhetoric surrounding the vaccine is such that even if you get vaccinated, you are not necessarily, um, you know, totally cleared from being a COVID carrier. You may not necessarily be allowed to go about and travel again, you know, without getting a negative COVID test on top of the vaccine. So to me, there just seems to be more room and reason built in to lock down if necessary again. And that's where I'm starting to get a little bit sweaty about that. You know what I mean? I just don't like that again, with barbed wire around the Capitol, that it seems like we could be in another situation where it would not be a problem for a government official to, you know, voice an opinion that we should lock down again. And he might garner some support, seeing as we've been dealing with this virus for a year now and it hasn't gone away. So and I don't even feel intelligent talking about it anymore. I don't know what direction to look next. I'm just trying to watch the headlines and adjust my positions accordingly. So I, I just need a lot more clarity before I can get on my trading you know, bull market platform and start wailing away at markets again. I really do. Tony, all I want is this summer, I want to come out to the island and do a show on the beach. Yes. Now we're talking, Ash. There has That's to it. be one, right? There has to be one. Peter's coming too. Absolutely. <laughs> has to be done. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Ash, thanks for being here, man. We're going to see how everything develops. It might be as early as the next two weeks when we speak that we can get right back in the markets. And that's what I'm hoping for, honestly. Yeah, this was a great break, though, to take the more strategic view back, to understand and think, to catch our breath and to think about what we've been talking about. 
Yeah, you know, and I, I'm always a guy that's saying, do your homework, do your homework. And I look around and sometimes I look at myself and I'm saying, I'm doing a lot more trading than I am homework right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's stop and do some homework. I'm going to do one, I want to touch on one sector, Ash, before departing. We did a great interview with Jason Wilde that's about to get published very soon. That is going to lead us back into the cannabis sector this year with so much exuberance and so much to look forward to that I just deplore anybody that is in the space or looking at the space, please watch my interview with Jason Wilde. Not because of me, but because the content is amazing. Yeah, coming to New York. Coming right in New York, exactly. We did it in the studio, so that was tremendous to be um, talking to him in person, and I'm really excited for, to, for his story to get out because it's a really educational video. And talking of which, coming to an Empire State Dispensary near you sometime soon. It's going to happen, right? I mean, if anything is, an, if anything, I mean, any trade is a lock, that one is a lock. Yeah. So we'll see how that all plans out. Tony, by the way, first Real Vision Daily Briefing in the new studio right now, right here. Oh, yeah. oh this is the big one? This is the this is the the screen you see behind me is because I got bookcases that have no books on them and a ton of dust. So they haven't they're not TV ready yet. And I'm and I'm fading a little bit. I'm looking right now. I've got this big window in front of me. And as the light fades, I notice my camera is starting to get blurrier. It looks like I'm having cocktails at a party every minute that goes by a little more out of focus. This is your, the new Ash studio. I like it, man. Well, we'll have to do, um, you know, we'll do one show out here and then I'll come up to your studio. We'll, we'll do one show there. Let's do more live this year. That's what I'd like to do, Ash, in 2021. Absolutely. I think we'd have more fun at the beach. Totally. We can do that. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> Tony Greer, thanks for joining us. Ash, thanks for having me, my man. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.